Hi, this is Emily McGinnis. And this is Dan Bridges. You're listening to the Nerd Byword Podcast. Boom. Welcome, nerds, to a brand new episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. I'm Dave, here with my buddy and co-host Chris, and we're ready to deliver some nerdy goodness to you again this week. Today, we have a special interview for you. Dan Bridges and Emily McGinnis are here to talk about their upcoming graphic novel, The Zombie Game. But first, we've got to cover some juicy nerd news. Chris, what do you have for us this week? Another one bites the dust, and that is Diamond. Um, In an industry-shaking move, Marvel Comics has decided to end their distribution partnership with Diamond Comics Distributors. They have entered a multi-year partnership to distribute their monthly comic books and graphic novels through Penguin Random House. Their dealings in the bookstore market will continue to be handled by Hatchet Book Group. Uh, this massive decision comes nearly a year after DC Comics completely severed, tied with, uh, severed ties with Diamond, opting to move forward with both Lunar and UCS as their distributors. However, two major distinctions stand out when you're comparing the two situations. First and foremost, Marvel is going to maintain the standard Wednesday new release day while DC shifted to Tuesdays and kind of do their own thing now. Secondly, and perhaps most intriguingly, Uh, independent retailers will still have the ability to order their comics through Diamond. The only difference is that Diamond is going to function as a wholesaler as opposed to a distributor. Many comics fans were curious to see how other major uh, publishers would react to the DC Diamond split from 2020, especially after Diamond held what was, for all intents and purposes, a monopoly on the direct distribution market from 1997 until DC's transition last year. Uh, Many local comic shop owners have expressed displeasure with Diamond Service for quite some time. Even after the DC split, titles are routinely left out of shipments and orders are poorly packaged, resulting in damaged goods. I recently had a pull that I could not pick up because it came in damaged uh, myself. In contrast, one independent retailer that I spoke to privately raved about the quality of product that they had been receiving from Lunar. Nevertheless, the move by DC to sever ties completely with Diamond is still coming up sour for many folks uh, involved for one reason or another. It'll be interesting to see how this news from Marvel will be received. Dave, what's your take on all this? Well, obviously, this is huge news. Uh, uh, After DC's departure from Diamond, Marvel now breaking away, too, is pretty much earth-shattering for the comic book industry. Competition is good for the consumer. I, I mean, that's the bottom line. Diamond has, you know, struck this deal to be able to distribute Marvel Comics via Penguin Random House. But why would retailers want to do this? Um, I mean, ultimately, they'd just be adding a third party, an extra middleman between Penguin Random House and themselves. Now, the other thing is that, uh, according to Diamond, uh, they are currently not sure what the discount level uh, will be that they'll be able to offer to retailers. So that is uh, another wrinkle in all this. So it looks like bad news for Diamond overall, but probably good news for uh, the consumer. 
Uh, growing pains aside, the move that DC made seems to be working quite well for them and also for retailers ultimately. So I think this too could end up being really positive news for both retailers and customers ultimately. Yeah, it really just blew me away. Like my, I wasn't able to get my my latest issue of TMNT because it came in damaged, and and Children of the Atom, another book, was just left out of the order. Like that, them's the breaks. Like this is after DC, like said that they were done with you. I, I I'm going to quit you, Diamond, and they're still just like. Like their stuff doesn't stank. It was just wild to me. So, so this is really going to be interesting to watch this develop, and and hopefully, you know, we can get like a normal functioning market uh, going forward. But it's just wild to me that Diamond still continues to operate like this. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dave. What is your news story for this week? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of uh, going back towards the beginning of our podcast, and I want to talk a little bit about the CW's Batwoman TV show. Um, So at the end of the first season, Batwoman lost its star. Ruby Rose decided to depart the show and the role of Kate Kane. Instead of recasting their main character, the writers decided to create an original character to take on the role of Batwoman, Ryan Wilder. Now, before the launch of the second season, I was a big supporter of instead using a pre-existing character from DC Comics to step into the role of Batwoman or simply recasting Kate Kane. Since the show has now launched its second season and we're several episodes in, the character of Ryan Wilder has proved quite interesting. And the performance of Javisha Leslie has gone a long way toward uh, selling a character without a history in the comic books. So kudos to that. Um, imagine my surprise then when Kate Kane recently turned up alive on Batwoman, but disfigured and unrecognizable. News dropped pretty quickly after the episode aired that the character of Kate Kane was recast with Wallace Day, who famously had a role on the television series Krypton. According to showrunner Caroline Dries, Kate Kane will have a big role for the remainder of the season. This whole news dropped after Ruby Rose recently stated that she'd be open to returning to Batwoman for a guest spot. So this whole situation is just odd. You know, after clearly making the decision to create an original character because recasting Kate Kane felt wrong to the showrunner and the writers, they now are doing that very thing they said they wanted to avoid. And and that raises the question of why, if they have confidence in the character of Ryan Wilder, and if they're happy with the direction that this show is currently taking, then why reintroduce Kate Kane, recast, um, when that's something they wanted to avoid previously? So I'll be watching this development with great interest, but it seems clear, you know, Kate Kane probably won't return to the role of Batwoman. Um, so what's the point of all this maneuvering? Yeah, this is super odd, and and I'm completely coming at this from the outside looking in. I, I've made my sentiments clear on on the CWDC shows. They're 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 difficult to watch for 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 multiple reasons. For me, the one exception so far, um, first couple episodes in, has been Superman and Lois. It still has that cheese factor. Um, but I'm a, I, I'm willing to overlook it because the I think the cast of Superman and Lois is just out of this world, um, and and it's so so strong. I love their dynamic. I love that core family uh, of the Kents. Um, so I, I 
I have heard great things about Javisha Leslie's performance, and it's it's definitely got me. It's it's piqued my interest to where I'm almost willing to take the dive. But this just seems like a hot mess, and it's a lot of just going back and forth. And and if the character of uh, of Ryan Wilder is is you know living up to expectations or even exceeding them. Why are you wanting to backtrack? It just seems like they don't have a clear plan of, of what they want to do. Yeah, that that is my sense as well. Uh, and again, I was extremely vocal when all this was originally going down. I'm a huge fan of the Batwoman comic books. J.H. Uh, Williams III's work on that series was absolutely incredible, both art and writing. Um, and so I'm a big fan of the Kate Kane character and had trouble seeing how the show could proceed without that character. Um they're they're starting to make a space for this Ryan Wilder character on the show. It seems to be at least working somewhat. I'm I'm kind of being won over, um, and now Kate Kane is here again, and it's just it seems odd to have Kate Kane if she's not going to be Batwoman ultimately. All right, folks, that's it for nerd news. After a short break, it's time for Dan Bridges and Emily McGinnis to join us and tell us about their Kickstarter for the graphic novel The Zombie Game. Stick around. Welcome back, nerds. In today's Byword Big Talk, we're welcoming uh, two super creative individuals to the show, Dan Bridges and Emily McGinnis. Dan is a U.S. Army veteran, screenwriter, actor, former stuntman, and now comic book writer. Emily has worked for Boom Studios on shows like Swamp Murders and for YouTube royalty FBE, and she has also self-published a few books. The Kickstarter for the newest project, a horror graphic novel, The Zombie Game, is coming soon. Dan, Emily, thank you so much for joining us on the Byword today. Thank you. Thank we'll you we'll so give much. ourselves a round of applause. Yay. We're so happy Woo. to be here. Thank you guys very much for having us. <laughs> well, we always like to start our interviews with guests uh, with your nerd origin story. What were the first elements of nerdy media that had an influence on you growing up? I mean, back in the day, we're talking about back in the day, mm. the Batman animated series was my kind of first introduction to like nerd culture. That whole tsunami block on Cartoon Network, like I was I was too young probably to be watching, especially the the bloody like gory anime they had <laughs> on like late at night. <laughs> But, like, I was just 100% convinced that, like, the Batman animated series was was going to go on forever and that I was going to make characters for it. I, like, I wrote fan fiction. I, like, had some girl, like, draw my own character. Like, I, I was in it to win it. That was, it was amazing. Um, I came to nerd culture later, uh, like, during my high school stuff, I was uh, I was a, kind of a jock um, as much as I could be, and then uh, I, I joined the army, which is not necessarily very nerdy. But when I when I was overseas, because um, you have a lot of downtime in the military, uh, I got into comic books, and I found um, my favorite character was is or you know uh, Wolverine, and what was really cool, and I kind of think is, you know, one of the biggest uh, book series that I read at the time was uh, the Infinity Gauntlet, 
so I got every epi- you know, episode and every every book, and I went through it because it was all over and different different characters, and I got to read the entire thing. Um, and it was my that's kind of how I got into comics and nerd culture at all. So Emily, you've spent some time uh, working at Boom Studios, and we had the chance to talk to Ross Ritchie a few weeks back, and he seems like a really neat, uh, like he runs a really neat company. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, Ross and Boom was like a magical time in my life. It it was like the pinnacle of me being able to actually like contribute and work in the comics industry. I had run a local dinner for comics professionals for like three years in LA before uh, the head of marketing at Boom, Kit Mosier, like offered me a job at Boom Studios. And it was just such a cool experience. They do such a great mix of like licensing, like known properties. So you get to see like all the stories you ever wanted to tell in like a certain universe, like Farscape and the Muppets and stuff like that. But then they really did a cool job of like supporting some of the more indie stuff at the same time. And they kind of used those known properties to like boost the indie creators as well. And it seems like they kind of found the perfect marriage of that with Keanu Reeves project. Like it just, it looks so, so amazing. I'm hoping that like the over million dollars they raised will uh, also get some notoriety for a lot of the people that, that try to make their start like at Boom Studios. Like a lot of people start there and graduate like into the big two or other projects. And it's, it's a good little like incubator. Yeah, you said you said a magic word there, which was of course Farscape. I had completely <laughs> forgotten there that that Boom had done Farscape comic books. Boy, was I obsessed with that show back in the day. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Me too. Love that one. Uh, feels a little bit like Guardians of the Galaxy is kind of borrowed rather liberally from that show. Yeah, I would definitely say, especially the swagger, mm-hmm. the swagger that it has. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dan, you have uh, quite the history working as an actor and stuntman. So yeah. you also wrote, directed, and starred in a web series called The Fall Dude. And I was looking over that uh, earlier today again. <laughs> what is it? About? I have to say, I was I was extremely amused with it. Uh, what, what is it about? <laughs> I appreciate. I appreciate. <laughs> what is it about acting in particular that you find so satisfying? Um, it, it was kind of my first. So. Uh, like growing up, I, I never felt like I was very good at things. Um, I, 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 my friend, I had this quote that I was an artist without a talent. And so I always kind of wanted to be good at, 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 at creating something, but I never quite found my, my niche. And at some point, I just kind of jumped right in because I loved movies and I loved it all. And... I love the idea of in just becoming and, and going into a character and and that entire process of research and experience. Uh, and then I actually had to learn how to act and, and get good at it. And but what was also really exciting is is that it's a very zen experience for me, especially like being on stage. Is that your 
you you can't focus on anything else in the world except for what's happening right in front of you at that time. And that presence of being is, you don't really get it very often in real life. And so that's something that I crave. So the two of you have worked together on several projects now. Uh, what is it like to work creatively with the person that you're also married to? Are there any unique challenges or benefits from your working relationship? So some people work really well together as a married couple. That is not us. Not at all. <laughs> no. We, <laughs> we do not work well together at all. We attempted once. Yes. We, we attempted to write together once. And uh, we we nearly ended our marriage. Yeah, it was awful. Uh, because we have completely different styles of writing. I make outlines and I do like copious amounts of research in binders. And, and I wander around the house muttering to myself, what's the story? Why is this happening? Uh, so it was not compatible. Because <laughs> I'm like, why haven't you put anything in the outline? Because I was like, there's nothing. I have to have the whole thing written before I put an outline together. And so it was very, very, very counterproductive in that sense. But we were able to find a really good balance of being each other's editors. Yeah. Um, she is what I'm good at. She's not as good at. And what. Uh, she is great at I suck at so it works out really well in those respects and we definitely toss around ideas that's actually like one of our favorite things about watching movies and consuming pop culture and like reading comics is because we like discussing it we like picking it apart we like diving deep into it and we sharpen each other definitely in like how we view things and it makes us better writers and ultimately yeah. helps us like critique each other's work even if we're working on the same project yeah i don't think you're ever allowed to just say i didn't like it because that's yeah. just it's, it's it's that just drives me insane <laughs> so she's she when we got this project together um like i had written it and she is kind of like put it all together um in a way that i am not capable of doing so i'm very it's it's a very interesting creative marriage. And I made sure that, you know, like he stuck to deadlines. And the great part about uh, having your writing partner in your house is you you just can physically like go grab them by the collar <laughs> and be like, you're sitting down and writing today. So <laughs> I need this done now and I don't care. And yeah. it's like, all right. I don't, I don't care if you're puking your guts out. Like <laughs> you need to approve this page. Yeah. <laughs> So both of you seem to have a um, real love of the horror genre. Why horror? What, what makes the genre so special to you? I think that the best part about horror is that really it can be so many different things. Like when you really get into all the genres and subgenres, you can just tell so many different types of stories. And we have a really great respect for the genre as a whole um yeah the another another aspect of it is that it horror is usually or good horror anyway i will you know 
preface that is that it's an allegory for society or an individual's fear. It, it taps into the primal uh, on a very s- simplistic nature and, and not on a, it doesn't have to be huge, you know, like it, it can be simple and it can be done with one person and it's that one person's fears and that one person's ability. And it can be supernatural or it could be an individual. I think some of the disappointing parts we've seen about a lot of maybe like the comic to movie conversions is that like they really, a lot of them focus on uh, gods and world building and, and things like that. And we really love stories that are grounded in reality that have a twist and so we love stuff like wandavision and x-men in general and uh i guess like deadpool kind of skirts the line on that too but i think that's why we love horror too is because they're they're very grounded stories you feel like that might be able to happen to you yeah And, and that's the thing is is that it's it's you don't have to be a superhero or you don't have to be somebody, you know, crazy or, or, or in this environment or uh, you don't have to be a NASA or up in space. You can just be alone in a, in a hotel room and that could be you. And that's what I, I you know, it's that, that person, that individual is who interests me on that. Because our minds are really scary places. Yeah. Okay, so his magic words are Farscape, mine are X-Men. You already mentioned Wolverine. So you already mentioned Wolverine. Give me some other mute give me some other mutants that you love. Um well uh, No, no, I, it's like, you know, I love the idea of I uh, I love Beast. I I do love Beast. Um but when it, I I I overwhelmingly love Wolverine. I find him to be just the absolute like pinnacle of of the X-Men universe. <clears throat> oh, come on. You're not going to say Dazzler? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like I and I, I, I meant, you know, it's like I guess there's a part that it gets to like with um, like, you know, Magneto and those guys that they're. They're interesting, like, but they're a little too powerful for me. And I think that that's one of the things that, like, I know that Wolverine is pretty much, you know, he just kind of regenerates, but he's not always the biggest and the strongest. That's one of the reasons why I always kind of gravitated towards him is because, you know, he is in the, in the comics, you know, a lot smaller. Actually, I always thought that like, you know, Tom Cruise, would be a good, uh, you know, Wolverine because he was, he's supposed to be older and he's supposed to be small. And it's that kind of that Rocky aspect of him, not, you know, not going down. Um, you know, but when I'm looking at, when I'm looking at, um, mutants, uh, you know, it's, it's, Nah, I, I, I get, now I'm kind of like, ah, what do I say? But, um, <laughs> no, but those are, I mean, you know, I, I loved the, uh, the Jean Grey, the Phoenix, not the comp, not, not the movie, but the, the comics. And I loved that aspect of it. Um, 
but yeah, those are that he's pretty much the pinnacle of what I consider on the mutant side. I, I think what's so fascinating about him too is a lot of people misconstrue him as like this, you know, picturesque masculinity, like macho man. But like, if you really read, like, especially the Claremont era, he's, he's so reflective and he's so deep. Like you don't expect it coming from like Logan of all people to like, to be like this, like sage wisdom and like, and like uh, to, to just drop these like, just nuggets of wisdom on you is I think that's what's so fascinating about the character. Yeah. And also like the weapon X history of it too, you know, and like his, his, his historic um, rise. And I guess that's another thing. It's he, he reminded me a lot of, um, you know, a, a veteran and, you know, going through a lot of, a lot of stuff and coming out messed up, but still trying to do the right thing. Yeah, that's why like Logan was so good. Yeah. Why why people yeah. really like responded to it is because you can get very reflective with with that character, and I think that's why some of the larger story arcs about like you know Cyclops leading a war against whatever kind of start falling not falling apart, but I don't find them as interesting no. because it's just gods like battling each other for the most part. And the best X-Men stories really have, have heart and like show some sort of reflection of what, what we're dealing with in society and, and feeling out of place and not, that's the other part about like, that's why I kind of really like the, the mutant aspect and on Marvel when it comes to like X-Men on that side is that, it's societal, right? It's like they don't fit in. There's this whole sentinel thing and there's this whole world of them being like shipped off and it's who's they're frightened of them and they're also powerful and so it's very convoluted and says a lot about our society. Yeah, for sure. Now you now, um now, Dan, as a veteran, and, and you referenced this with, with that, we're curious, what is it like to create in the horror genre? Um, and what does your background as a veteran kind of bring when your job is literally to be in constant danger? Okay, so first off, I just want to say that I was not um, I was not in Iraq or Afghanistan. I was stationed in Panama, so I don't want anybody to misconstrue that. That's a big thing. Um, m- most of my friends have been in um Iraq or Afghanistan and they are the people that I love and I I have a and I it's 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 it means a lot to me um in the veteran community um however when what the best part about writing or because veterans have an actually a horrible and a beautiful sense of uh humor that I wanted to, to actually create, but there's this aspect of, um, the, the whole idea of like zombies or like apocalypse, that kind of thing is, is when society breaks down, what happens and people like start reacting in a certain way. And one of the things that veterans have over normal people is that they already have seen that. They know that society is kind of a construct. And in that way, um, that character can move through that, whether it's a belief or not of that, whatever's happening right then and there 
to action faster. And in that way, it's good and bad. And then there's the repercussions of that. And so knowing that if you're at a bar and the societal norm is you don't hit somebody, but when somebody steps up on you, you know, things happen. And so understanding that the societal norms don't really always apply is a huge benefit to a character like dealing with quote unquote monsters, right? Because they don't really care if it's a monster. They just know that that's happening right then. And then after a while, they have to reflect, which is basically kind of PTSD in this, in a certain way. So when a normal character would be like, what's happening? Why is this happening? I don't know what's happening. The veteran character doesn't have to worry about that at that time. The, ver- the veteran character has to reflect on it later. And I see that as a very interesting aspect of this kind of a genre where you always have to go through that moment of like, what's happening? Why is this happening? I don't know. It's like the veteran can say, I don't care. We got to kick down this door and go. And then we got to figure it out on the way. And then later, then it can be reflective. And I found that that to be a very interesting aspect of that character, of that kind of um, ability to move through things faster and um and then go from there now emily uh to to kind of keep pulling on the on the horror movie and horror genre thing um there's a topic that's really near and dear to my heart i grew up uh with a lot of very strong women in my family and so how how women are represented in media has always been particularly interesting to me and female characters have historically taken up a pretty unique role in the horror genre. And on the one hand, you have the trope of the final girl and the tough survivor. But on the other hand, the horror genre has also uh, never shied away from exploiting its female characters. How do you write female horror characters in the age of, of Me Too while avoiding these sorts of problems? Yeah, I, I think that like we have a, a rich past of all kinds of problematic things. <laughs> In, in all sorts of media, but, you know, we also have to see those types of things within the context of the time to fairly assess them. And I, I think that it is important to put a new lens on female horror characters. And I think the biggest thing that we can do for our female characters and for all the women in your life is to give them agency. Like, because you can have a a kick-ass female character who kills monsters and slays things, and they still have no agency within their own story. And you can have a very frightened character who maybe uh, is more in the the Barbara vein, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Original, original. Original. Um, They're coming to get you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, who basically just collapses on a couch um and and but you can give that character a lot of agency so i i think you know in in a lot of our our nerd discourse these days it's pretty hard to have any sort of gray area and any sort of like real discussion because we're all humans just just figuring it out and figuring out like what this means to us and how how we relate to the women in our lives and 
the women characters that we see, but really making female characters three-dimensional, allowing them to fuck up, allowing them to like be messy humans, have like a full range of human emotion, like allowing them to be active participants in whatever is happening, have, uh, you know, control over their own bodies and making sure that we are not just bolting tits on a dude, like a, a male character just made female is, is not the answer either. When we think about those characters logically, they would not act the same way and we should celebrate that difference it should be an interesting thing to explore it 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 also seems that like having women be actually part of the creative process is a really important and crucial first step in in kind of eschewing some of those tropes would you agree with that i agree that the and i think that we we worked hard with our book and i think everyone should work hard even no matter what kind of creator you are to internalize different voices that like you, you should draw upon your own experience when you write, but hopefully you're also having a very wide range of experiences that, that reflects, you know, other people's, uh, nope, lost. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, you know, um, I don't know if this is, should I talk about that? Um, sure. Yeah, it's like one of the things is like people ask why I don't have a female lead in it. Um, like I have female characters in it, but the lead, um, the, the two leads are, are, are male. And it was like, I'm not necessarily the best person to write that. And understanding that, like, it doesn't mean that I can't write female characters and I can't write a female lead. But when I look at, my experiences and what I can, you know, write the best when I'm writing for my own self and and, in the story that I want to tell, who's the best character for that? And why is that person there? And, and understanding that if I need to, like, if I'm going to write a more complex woman, um, that I ask my female friends. And I think one, one thing about the horror genre in particular is that a lot of the actual horror of what's being represented is horror against women's bodies. And there are different types of, of horror to tell. Like I thought it was very interesting in Get Out that we got to see body horror against a male character. Like a male character is being stalked. And that we have to recognize that like we are all sacks of meat (laughs) no no matter what like men can be physically damaged men can be raped like men can be harmed in the same maybe not the exact same way but in the same ways that women can as well like we we have to expand our view of what's possible in stories so to give a bit of background 
uh, on the history of our podcast, I'm very much a noob when it comes to the whole genre of horror. Dave wrote all these questions because I am still learning. <laughs> I, I saw my dad. My dad took me to Jurassic Park when I was four years old, and it screwed me up forever. So, <laughs> ET did that for me. <laughs> yeah. Um. In in the month of October. We four, we four went, I don't know what the past tense is of that. We decided to forego, there we go, um, the nerd commendation segment. Uh, and we went with uh, Nerd Nightmare. And I had to watch like seminal um, movies for the first oh. time ever. You know, after 32 years of life, I'm watching Halloween for the first time. I'm watching yeah. um, Night of the Living Dead for the first time. So... And it was a really eye-opening experience, and, and I really grew from that. I would never have loved and enjoyed Lovecraft Country without that experience. Um, so so I, I asked this question kind of as like some recommendations. So a question for both of you. In the annals of horror fiction, what's your favorite scary story, TV, movie, novel, short story, whatever? Any favorites? Cool. Ooh, I mean... It's, it's an oldie but a goodie. Like, scary stories to tell in the dark. Those Stephen Gamble illustrations like still freak me out, and they did a pretty good job with the film adaptation. But like, I am still scared of spiders laying eggs in my face. Like <laughs> to this day, there was something about those stories that really like tapped into some sort of fundamental experience, and just the weirdo illustrations just made it like ten times worse. Yeah. Um, so like, I'm sure you had to see this. I don't know if you actually did, but the exorcist is the one that got me. Um, it was an absolute like terror, uh, that I, I, I had to go back later in life and like try to deal with. Um, it's, it's an absolutely phenomenal, uh, and it still holds up to the, to this day and it's it's actually uh, it's amazing uh, something else that i really um want to throw there's a couple of books i want to throw in there there's um the um the girl with all the gifts and that kind of segues into like the the zombie genre about looking at zombies in a different way the, the the movie is terrible but the book is excellent and um there's the house of leaves which is will make you think about reading in a different way. It's mind bending. The book itself, it's freaky. The way it's set up, it's I've never gone through a reading experience that way. I literally cried multiple times. I I threw the book. Yeah. I was like I I literally feel like I'm going insane. Yeah. It's it's incredible. That book is incredible. And then like something I I love 30 days of night. I loved, I loved that because monsters became monsters again. Because at this point in time, monsters or, or vampires or whatever they became glittery and soft and and wimpy. And Thirty Days a Night just like ripped apart like throats and gullets and just made monsters monsters again. I, I I'm shocked that we didn't watch um, the exorcist Dave like that. I, oh, that's God. really wild. Um, so I'm trying to remember which ones we did. We did Halloween. We did uh, yes. night of the living dead. We did yes. um, nightmare on Elm street, the original. And then we did a, 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 an interesting choice for the last one because the 1999, the haunting 
came on HBO Max. And I sent the screen grab to Dave and I was like, oh man, this one messed me up in fifth grade. He said, great, let's watch it. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, those were the four that we did. Yeah, you should check check that one out, The the, the Exorcist. The Exorcist does not start how you would think. And it is a 70s movie Mm -hmm. and you'll you'll have to get through the beginning a little bit, but it is it is worth it. Well, it's what I really love about it is that um, as as just a lot of other things happen is is that the the characters go through the steps logically of how you would deal with this until it gets to the point where they can't deal with this. Um, and it's a, it's it's a '70s movie. It's slow in the beginning, but oh my. god god it's it, it's shocking and scary um, i think it goes back to that being grounded in reality yeah that, like you could you could actually picture this happening you could you could picture yourself going through those thought processes yeah it's really interesting too that um when when you were talking about being a veteran and like that level of preparedness i immediately thought of the first night of the living dead when ben comes in and and barbara is just like oh i don't know what to do and even like every yeah. other character doesn't know what to do but i don't know I, I i they don't specifically say that he's a veteran but that's immediately what i thought of with that level of preparedness because the whole the whole crowd was melting around him and he was just like the immediately just like nailing boards to the wall and like yeah. had his gun going he was ready to go yeah it's yeah. like you know there's there's the disbelief of this is happening and then there's just doesn't matter like the the part of it that it doesn't matter you got to get it done and you got to you got to move through whatever the, the you know the you're waiting through and then you can deal with it later and that's that's actually exactly what yeah yeah for for better or worse that becomes how you live your life <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right you know, it's sometimes you you don't want you shouldn't act, but you're um, you're on that precipice of always knowing that um, that ability is there, and that's a you know, it's a, it's it's a, it's a knowing that is in your back pocket is is uh, I don't want to say sad in a way, um, it's liberating in the in the opposite way because it's a double-edged sword, right? You know what you're capable of doing, but then again, you know what you're capable of doing. Which might not be good. Yeah. <laughs> good things. So let's let's actually talk about your upcoming horror graphic novel, The Zombie Game, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, w- yeah, w- what's what's it all about? I mean, there's zombie, there's game in the title, but uh, what what can uh, what can readers look forward to with this one? What's the premise? That's true. It's a it's about a group of college students who are going to an end of the year end of the world party. So it's a theme party. They're all dressing up. And suddenly they find themselves hunted by the rich in a live action zombie apocalypse video game. So the game is actually the game that that the rich have paid to play. And we find out that our group of college students are the, some of the only ones who have survived this uh, initial onslaught, and everyone else has been turned into zombies that the rich gamers get to kill. Uh, and the game itself is is a is, is multiple levels of puzzles and um, and riddles that they have to go through, um, and our heroes are some of the fodder that 
the rich have um, have decided to um, play with, and that's the premise of the of the book. Now, do I uh, do I smell a little bit of social commentary here? Ah, you beat me war? to it! You beat me to it! <laughs> yes, there is. Well, the thing is, is that um, I couldn't write. Uh, I I wanted so much to create some sort of horror movie and write a horror movie um, because uh, there's a lot of different reasons, but I didn't want to do anything. Just you know, uh, another apocalypse and everybody's a zombie, or you know whatever it was. And I needed to come up with something to say. I needed a theme and I needed some, um, aspect about it. And being a veteran, um, quite a bit of me and my friends, um, feel kind of used by parts of society. But we started seeing that everywhere. A lot of people, um, in a lot of different ways. And so what I wanted to do is look at, um, you know, and at the time, you know, the, the 1% and Bernie and all this other kind of stuff was, was being thrown around a lot. And it was this kind of new um, look at the social dynamic. And I started looking at, and then with the book, I like I said, uh, The Girl with All the Gifts and looking at zombies in a different new way, as opposed to being a pandemic or, or like a comet or something or the undead or however, it's like, can we centralize it and can we make it into a specific place? And then I threw in a little bit of saw about who would make this. And then I was like, who would play this? And it would of course be these people who use normal people as fodder and zombies are the, the ultimate in, you know, herd mentality. And so, yes, all of that is that. And, um, I thought about it a lot to, to finally be able to, um, to start this and then go from there and what other like ultimate disrespect to, you know, humans are, is just to use them as, you know, playthings, and I, in, in so many different ways. And so I really wanted to, to say that, um, utilizing this way. So, so zombies have had a real resurgence in, in genre fiction over the past few years, in part thanks to the massive success of things like The Walking Dead. And, and with so much zombie fiction available, how did you go about making sure that the zombie game sticks out? Yeah, I think the first piece was that we thought a lot about like how would zombies work in real life. And so we were able to come up with a twist on how they're created, like Dan said, they're not the undead, it's not a comet, but the zombies in our book are actually created through a drug, and that drug is modeled on ecstasy, mm -hmm. so people who take uh, mind-altering drugs are actually immune to the one that turns them into zombies, which that, is why you have actual survivors. That's actually true, by the way, uh, because ecstasy doesn't work on people like taking Adderall or antipsychotics. So if people are taking those drugs, and especially on a college campus, it's up to 40% of people that are on those kinds of drugs. So when you have that aspect of it, so now you have like certain people that are immune who would be taking those drugs, and those are our heroes. And that was really important for us to try to build those characters as like broken people just trying to get by. Like it, it made a lot of sense that like, 
it took our theme that like what makes you broken is what's going to help you survive this yeah. whole ordeal and the fact that they're on all sorts of ADHD drugs and maybe antipsychotics is actually what allowed them to survive the game. Yeah. And so I, I referenced the girl with all the gifts is that's the, the place that took me from the idea of what a zombie could be and not having to bow down to that convention um, because of that convention has been told and the, the fact is is that zombies aren't the true terror and some and zombies are only a reflection of our our worst um impulses and like the walking dead isn't really about like the zombies the zombies are themselves terrible but it's really what humans do to each other that's really the horror and i and so zombies aren't like they're 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 a plague as you can say but it's really the humans that utilize this and want to play this and make this that are the true evil and we were by making it a drug we were able to do whatever we wanted with the yeah. zombies like we actually have all different zombies on all different levels because one of the big things we also saw in zombie movies and zombie books is like once you figure out what kind they are yeah like you've you've kind of solved the puzzle like in train to busan right um i don't know if you've seen that but at the at the midpoint uh you find out that they can't see in the dark so like then you they have a they have a weakness right and now you that the rest of the book the rest of the movie is to try to figure out how to defeat that zombie or you know whatever it is but in ours, each level is a different type, so you it doesn't matter. You still have to get through that level. And I, I liked the ability to change the zombie, right? And so And we got to uh, pay homage to all our yeah, favorite yeah, zombie exactly, movies. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it, Don't I felt, sue us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please. Um, no, I, I felt that it was very interesting to be able to um, and freeing to have to, to be able to step back from some of those you know tropes and be able to um, play on them and still uh, rever uh, have reverence for them. Now this is a, a graphic novel. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't you know ask about the art. Um, so who, who's the uh, the artist creating the art? How did that collaboration come about? Why was this the, the right artist for the job? Absolutely. So our artist is uh, Pablo Ashala. He has actually worked on a Boom Studios uh, graphic novel, RoboCop. And um, we came by him semi on accident when we originally were thinking about how we were going to do this book. We were thinking, you know, maybe Walking Dead route where we go all black and white and we can make it really textural. And, you know, we combed a lot of my contacts from all my comic book days to see, like, who was out there and what, what was good. And we definitely had an idea of, like, black and white texture. Yeah. And then... Well, we also didn't want to pay for color because that was way too <laughs> more, too expensive. We were, we're like, this is on us. This is, we got to do this. So we got to like deal with that. <laughs> and, uh, but we got an email from Pablo 
with some of his past work and we were both just stunned he paints with light and the initial page he had sent us was this like 17th century french mansion ghost-like story where we could perfectly picture that sort of atmosphere working with telling a zombie story because there's dust everywhere there's light coming through like one of our chapters is uh mostly in black light and he, he could paint that it was it was so there's the story about how morgan freeman got the the part of red in shawshank redemption like it, that character is supposed to be, he's supposed to be um, Irish, but Morgan Freeman came in and did such a, an amazing audition. They were just like, well, there you go. And that's where that joke comes from. It's like, why I'm, you know, it's like, why do they call you red? It's cause I'm Irish. Um, and this is kind of what happened with Pablo. It's like, we just kind of looked at each other. And when somebody like, like an artist can elevate what you put on the page when somebody comes in and we had to kind of, I had to kind of get out of the way uh, in some ways. Like I had an idea of what it was going to be or like this. And he would come in with this, an absolute different take on it. Crazy fisheye lenses. And yeah. Like... And, and it was like, man, and, and it's absolutely stunning. And so like allowing and knowing when to push and when to pull and when to just let that um, artist run was a, a very interesting experience and we love supporting like other young creators mm. as well and being able to work with like hungry fresh talent that um you know that we want to do right by and show more people their work yeah. except don't hire him because there's more books <laughs> <laughs> So the project is is currently on Kickstarter. Um, can you tell us about that? Um, what are your goals with the campaign and what kind of rewards and incentives can supporters expect? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our pre-save campaign is already up. You can go on to Kickstarter and search the zombie game and our, our cool little zombies up there. It actually launches March 30th. So make sure you hit hit the notification button so you know when we go live. Mm -hmm. Our goal is a modest (laughs) (laughs) $4,000. And uh, not only do we have the graphic novel as rewards, but we we ended up, since we have worked on this for so long, forming like this little ecosystem of other cool things that you can get. So... I wrote and drew a companion coloring book. It is all about um, the service dog in our graphic novel, Leg, and he gets to tell the same story that's in the graphic novel from his perspective, which involves a lot of laying down. (laughs) (laughs) Some barking. And some barking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, we have that coloring book, and then... All the awesome things you would expect. We got some cool coloring postcards. We got prints. Uh, Pablo did some amazing artwork that goes with the book. But we will also have some secret tier releases. 
which we will only release once we've reached some milestones toward our goal. So we can't can't tell you everything, but we promise that they're going to be spectacular. Oh, yeah. Now, crowdfunding has become, uh, over the last few years, a really big part of independent comics. And now several successful mainstream writers and artists have also started using, you know, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and platforms like it. What are your thoughts on this? Do you feel like those uh, projects from quote unquote big names in the industry are stealing indie creators thunder or is it just the more the merrier? I think definitely the more the merrier. Like if even one person from uh, Booms Berserker is turned on to Kickstarter as a whole and sees it as a place where they can find cool comics, then like, then maybe I will have a fan. But I, I think this also goes back to like creators being nervous about people stealing their work or like there not being enough like space somehow in like a genre. But really what you're what you're making is yours. And like only you can tell that story. Yeah. And so if it's a good story, it's gonna be completely different than whatever is on a comic book shop shelf it's the it's the same thing but i love that it really has been democratized and that we can get in front of uh you know thousands of people where maybe we only would have been able to get into like 20 comic book shops and we love the shops and we want to support them but as we've seen with the pandemic like just being able to go straight to your fans is is important. Yeah, and I mean, there's the, it's a double-edged sword, right? You, you know, um, the argument is, uh, you know, are they taking the thunder and stuff like that? But, you know, I, I look at it as more along the lines of like Netflix, right? You know, you're flicking through Netflix and you see something smaller or something weird or something different, and maybe you check it out. But if you're not there for you know, whatever it's, you know, the Umbrella Academy or whatever it is, which, you know, you're not going to see it. So does it, does it bring a lot more Fairweather fans and should they be getting money elsewhere or through a more traditional manner? I don't know, man, the, the traditional manner is so confused and complicated in, in, in itself that it's, I, I don't know. That's, I'm not going to put a moral judgment on them. I, I am only like, I just hope people like are able to find the story of any of it, any of any of this stuff connects with you, you know, or your love of horror or whatever it is and are just kind of interested enough to find it. And so I think I, I understand both sides of it. Um, but I, I'm just going to say, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> So the preview for the zombie game states that it's the first in a series. What are your hopes, ambitions for the future of the series? I mean, we we fell in love with these characters and this little world that we created. So we we definitely have more books in us. We definitely have more things we want to say. Yeah. Um, and uh, at least at least two more. You know, we we want to focus on getting this one into everyone's hands but we're we're already uh churning on the the next two yeah and i, I mean the the whole idea of just 
it kind of came like I, I thought about the game masters kind of like you know the guy in saw where it was like okay we can follow these characters or we could just have an entire new set and a new world zombie town whatever it is or whatever and however you wanted to do it so there's a lot of ways to to branch from the world and that's really exciting uh, now, we usually end each episode with what we like to call our nerd commendations, nerdy media that we are enjoying a lot right now. Do the two of you have anything you would like to recommend to our listeners? Absolutely. You should try to take the time to find some awesome indie creators. Like They really want your support. And there, there is something out there for everybody. So I highly recommend you go check out Ben Goldsmith's Seance Room. If you like ghost stories and kind of spooky atmospheric horror, like Seance Room by Ben Goldsmith is going to be your super sweet spot. And lately for me, uh, I've been reading a lot more during the pandemic and all. Um, and I've been finding new... Uh, I'm a big fan of the Dresden Files, but off of that, I came up with a, a new series, um, the Alex Vera series. I don't know if people have heard that or if they, either either of you, but they're really quick and easy reads, and it's a magical world, and um, they're very fun, and uh, I really have enjoyed them a lot. Well, thank you both so much for, for your time today. Where can our audience, our listeners go to follow and support your work? Absolutely. So we're on Instagram and Facebook. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Both things. Uh, at the zombie game. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find our Kickstarter uh, as a shortened link, bit.ly backslash the zombie game. So we pretty much labeled everything the, the zombie, zombie game. game. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it is impossible to miss, but... Yeah, we love uh, chatting with people and hearing about uh, their love of horror and comics and all that stuff, so you can, can find us there. Well, there you have it, nerds. The book is The Zombie Game. The Kickstarter campaign goes live on March 30th, so check it out and support the book. As always, you can find the link to the campaign directly in our episode's show notes. Dan, Emily, thanks again for your time today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, man. Final applause. Woo! All right. When we come back from our final break, it's time once again for Nerd Commendation. What's new? What's good? Stick around to find out. Welcome back, nerds. It's time again to deliver some fancy Nerd Commendations. Chris, what should our listeners be checking out? So, Dave, usually I have like this scripted thing for my nerd commendation and, and it's all well thought out, but I, I'm just so geeked about Invincible on Prime Video. Like, I, I love the comic. I've read the first three, ta uh, three trades on, on Comixology Unlimited. And so I was super, super pumped for, for its release um, on, on the 26th of March. Lo and behold, they released it Thursday night, the 25th, and they gave us the first three episodes. So, you know, usually you're just excited to have one episode. They give us the first three episodes. And man, I cannot say enough about how 
awesome this show is. It's everything I wanted and more. Like it takes a comic that I really, really have enjoyed reading. One of my favorites. It takes like all the tropes of superhero comics and turns it on its head. Like it's a very, very clear like commentary slash parody on like the justice league and superhero comics. Like you, like you, you can't miss it. Um, but I, I really love the book. And for me, the, the best thing about this show is the cast. The cast is just hall of fame level. I mean, you'd start with, with JK Simmons as, as Omni man. And you really could not ask for anything more like his voice is pitch perfect like he could be in anything and everything um as as of course this is a robert kirkman project um there's a there's a lot of you know go between with the the walking dead cast so so steven yoon is there as mark grayson and for me as much as i love jk simmons as an actor and his portrayal in this show and his work in this show steven yoon as mark grayson is the runaway winner as this he he perfectly encapsulates the that teenage superhero that ultimate spider-man that stephanie brown batgirl like fake it till you make it like trying to get your bearings like that overly cocky because you really aren't that confident about your yourself yet it's just really great and, and i mean like like I said, this is a Hall of Fame cast. Sandra Oh as Debbie Grayson is amazing. Zazie Beats, Walton Coggins, Mark Hamill. Mark freaking Hamill as Art Rosenbaum. Like it gets it, it's so good. Seth Rogen is is great, is Alan the Alien. Um, one of my all-time favorite comedic actors, Jason Manzukis as Rex Splode, a character that you just uh, love to hate like he's such a douchebag but i love jason's take on on the character jillian jacobs as as adam eve um if you're a fan of community you, you know all about jillian jacobs and and just like the, the creative genius that she is she also does work you know behind the camera um and what i th- the big thing that i came away with too over these first three episodes I love the character of Adam Eve. She is such a powerhouse. She is such a badass. And like, it's just so awesome to see um, that fleshed out onto the screen. Um, You also have Kevin Michael Richardson as the Mauler twins. Um, It's like what also another one, Zachary Quinto, most probably best known for being Spock in the Calvin universe is a perfect pitch. Perfect robot. Like Michael Dorn, like Worf is Battle Beast. I mean, come on. Like this Clancy Brown comes in as Damian Darkblood. Mahershala Ali is Titan. John Hamm. Ross Marquand uh, like does like four or five different characters. This whole show is exactly what I wanted and hoped it would be. And then some. Um, it's pretty faithful to the comic. They've switched up a lot of the things. The big twist. Um if you know about Invincible, I'm not going to spoil it, but the big twist, the big spoiler comes at the end of the first episode. So if you're thinking, you know, I got a couple episodes to go in. The big twist, if you know, comes at the end of the first episode. So just heads up. It happens a little bit out of order from the comic, but I am living my best life watching Invincible on Prime Video. Yeah, I've not watched those three episodes yet. 
but I'm very excited to. Uh, and I know The Walking Dead got all the fame and attention. But when it comes to comic books written by Robert Kirkman, I think Invincible is actually ultimately the superior product. This series stands as one of my all-time favorite takes on superheroes. I read uh, the entire run uh, straight through. I got the first six of the deluxe hardbacks sitting uh, on my bookshelf. It's just, to me, uh, one of the defining superhero stories of our generation. And I think it stands as a perfect uh, example, proof, really, that DC and Marvel are not necessarily the be-all, end-all of superhero stories. I know uh, many... Uh, publishers kind of shy away from superheroes because they don't want to, you know, compete on uh, with DC and Marvel sort of at their own game and and rather, you know, go into different genre directions. But other pub- publishers can and should add to the canon of superhero stories. They can go places where um, ultimately I think DC and Marvel are just simply not willing to go because, you know, they, they view their characters more as, as timeless properties than something that can change, develop, and, and really be put through the paces. And that's really what uh, Invincible ultimately does. It never stands still. There's constant forward momentum. There's never a status quo to return to. It's a, it's a completely status quo-free story. It's just all forward momentum and change and development. So based on the fantastic comic book run, I have a hard time believing that this series isn't going to be great, isn't going to be a huge hit, and isn't going to you know run for many years. Uh, it's just a fantastic story, and I'm really excited to see more people uh, discovering um, the whole world of Invincible and all these characters and, and how they interact and how they ultimately change and grow through the story. I can't wait to check out the series, and I, and I really do need to make time for it in my schedule. It's just the comic book it's based on is just so very good. Yeah, man, like it's so it's such an embarrassment of riches when in terms of nerdy content right now, like I, I there are not enough hours in the day to accomplish the things that I want to do. I, I've been absolutely just glued to my switch. I'll talk about that next week in my next nerd commendation. Um, this show drops and gives me three episodes Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, you know, we spent four hours talking about the Snyder cut. I mean, like it's, it's just, it's, it's all coming up nerd right now. Um, and you know, I'm still working through, um, my team and T read through, um, and, and in, in similar to that, I, I know that I nerd commended that recently. I, I would totally echo what you said about invincible. It does not take an issue off. And, and I think, this comic because i read it before a, a lot of it before the 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 ninja turtle comics it really opened my mind to just moving away from that binary of marvel and dc and just you know checking out image or checking out idw or other indie publishers um and and not just having to stick to specifically marvel but dc as well uh, to get you know some awesome comics uh, and so i i'm I, I just I just don't know which way to go because I I have so many video games to play I have um, you know so many comics I want to read I'm still reading TMNT I want to finish the rest of Invincible uh, there's plenty at Marvel that I'm reading there you know is Infinite Frontier happening uh, you know to tip to tip your hand a little bit happening at, at DC that I'm super excited about like it's a great time to be a nerd man yeah that's a fact. 
All right, Dave. So I, 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 sorry, I spoiled yours a little bit, but what is your nerd commendation for this week? I'm, I'm, I'm super geeked about this one because uh, I know the writer very well. He's one of my all-time favorites, and I can't wait to to dive into this already. Yeah. So you know, I need to talk a little bit about uh, Nightwing number seventy-eight. Um, as we've discovered multiple times on this pod i'm a really a kind of a sidekick kind of guy um i've often gravitated towards sidekicks more than the main heroes and it's no wonder then that i'm a big fan of the original sidekick dick grayson the very first robin and one of the coolest things i think about dick grayson is that he's had the opportunity to change to develop to grow up and he came into his own as nightwing and has had several memorable runs uh, as nightwing in recent years, though, the character has experienced a lot of problems. Uh, I know Dan Didio famously advocated for killing off the character during Infinite Crisis. He was shuffled around. He was reinvented as a super spy for a while, which was admittedly memorable, but not quite Nightwing. And then things really got messed up very recently. In the last couple of years, uh, Dick Grayson was shot in the head, lost his memory, started running around and going by the name of Rick instead, rejected his uh, you know, Bat family and his role as Nightwing and suffered through a really, really poor series of stories. And now, as part of DC's Infinite Frontier initiative, Nightwing has a brand new creative team and a classic approach to the character. Writer Tom Taylor and artist Bruno Redendo uh, kicked off their run with Nightwing 78, and it immediately hooked me, man. This is classic Nightwing stuff. Dick Grayson sounds like Dick Grayson, acts like Dick Grayson. His characterization is so spot on. Tom Taylor has a fantastic grasp of who Dick Grayson is. The art is absolutely gorgeous and the story potential is simply through the roof the seeds are being planted already in this very first issue for something that could turn out to be deeply special taylor and redondo are poised to deliver uh, i'm doing my prediction right now one of the defining runs on the character of dick grayson i think this is going to be something that we're going to look back on as one of the defining runs on the character of dick grayson I don't know if I've ever been this excited about a Nightwing run. The stars are aligning for my boy Dick Grayson, and I can't wait to see where it goes. I I could talk for an entire episode length about how much I love Tom Taylor and his work. And, and the thing that I always come back to when I read something written by him is he perfectly and succinctly understands his characters at their core. His friendly neighborhood Spider-Man I recommended he perfectly understands Peter Parker, his ethos, the, his driving force, his his moral code. And that's why that itty bitty run on Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man is just pitch perfect for me and the best Spider-Man that I've read in years. X-Men Red is, I mean, the story of Jean Grey in that, in, in that title is... It brings tears to my eyes. It's it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read in any medium, not just comic books. Um, it, It's probably standing all time as one of my favorite comic book runs. And and all new Wolverine, I, I've just a very short way into this. I, as I said, you know, embarrassment of nerdy content. There's so much I want to read. All new Wolverine is just pitch perfect from him. And and. Like, I am so hyped to dive into this because the first time I ever saw Nightwing as a character was in, like, the original Arkham video games, like, when they first came out. And I was like, whoa, what is that? Is that, 
the old Robin. Like it was just so cool of a concept to me. And so um, I guess my only concern is, is I see number 78 here. Is this an okay jumping on point or do I need to binge 77 issues? Oh, I would, I would say the opposite for crying out loud. Don't touch the previous uh, 77 issues. Just don't do it. As I kind of alluded to, uh, we've just exited the Rick Grayson era, and it was so far removed from who Nightwing is as a character, who Dick Grayson is as a character, and the things that I love about Dick Grayson. And so being able to draw a clear line underneath that and say, you know, forget about it. This isn't important anymore. It has nothing to do with, you know, with this newest issue. This is the jumping on point. This is where you want to start. They might as well have started this with a new number one. It feels nothing like what came before in this particular volume of Nightwing. All right. Well, I think uh, my LCS opens tomorrow at 11 and, and, and I'm going back to get a copy of this because I'm so excited about this and I've, I've been looking for new ways to jump on at DC and just expand my, my reading um, practices. And, and this is the perfect point for me. Yeah, absolutely. Highly recommended. Well, folks, that's it for another episode of the nerd Byword podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, uh, please consider subscribing and dropping a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available uh, wherever podcasts can be found, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and our very own website, nerdbyword.com. You can also kick it with us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at nerdbyword, or individually at thatnerddave or thatnerdchris. Um, and as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd By Word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. <laughs>